Hey, everyone, and welcome to the State of the Art Podcast with me, your host, Ethan Appleby. I'm very excited to bring you along as I dive into conversations with amazing people who are at the intersection of art and technology. Each week, you'll hear a different angle about how tech is bringing radical change in the way all of us interact with art. We have on artists to first-time collectors, as well as CEOs from some of the top digital art companies. We'll also look at the effects social media sites and crowdsourcing platforms are having on the art world and explore how other creative industries, such as music and fashion, were democratized using technology. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Bango. If you're looking to spruce up your space and add inspiration to your home or office, there's no better way than original art. And Bango is changing the way we discover art from some of the best emerging artists. So visit bangoart.com or download the Bango app on iTunes and use promo code State of the Art to get 15% off your first purchase. Now, today's episode brings another first in State of the Art's history. In this episode, I'm excited to welcome co CEOs of Go Artful, Masai and Brandolin. Now, we've never had two guests at one time, and I'm really hoping that they don't pick on me. For those of you who don't know, Go Artful lets you rent artwork from local artists so that you can try it before you buy it. They recently launched in Washington, D.C., and are more than just an online business, but are creating a community of art patrons through events and fundraisers. Brandilyn and Masai have a fascinating background. They both immigrated to the U.S. when they were young, and they met through their love of the arts. It was this common bond and their belief that art should be for everyone that inspired them to start Go Artful. Today, I talked to them about how art saved Brandilyn's life, why being a social enterprise is a very important aspect to them, and why they think DC is the perfect place for an art business. So please, allow me to welcome today's guests, Brandilyn and Masai. I am really excited to have you two here on the State of the Art podcast today. I'm joined by Brandilyn and Masai from Go Artful. Welcome. Thank you. Thank Glad you. This is the first time I've recorded uh, a podcast in DC. Oh. And Lord. it's the first time I've done it with two guests. So I'm hoping that you two don't gang up on me, okay? <laughs> All I'm, sorts of firsts. I'm outnumbered here is what I'm trying to say. Um, well, great. We're, we're excited to hear your story. I mean, tell us, what is Go Artful? Um, so Go Artful is essentially an art subscription website and platform that looks to democratize access to art. And there's several ways that we're doing that. One is through the ability for, for people to explore art by local artists. We are hyper-focused right now on the D.C., Virginia, Maryland area. So we're working with um, local artists to figure out how they can make their work accessible to arts lovers. And the way we're doing that is through a multi-tier subscription level. Um, we're also looking to work with businesses who have changing art needs. So there are a couple of tools. I mean, we like to think about access as well as exploration. Okay. So in terms of access, you know, Masai leads our artist recruitment and has found you know, these incredible local artists. And we've really tried to curate a small collection to start. And then through the subscription, as little as $15 a month, we get you either a high quality print or an original piece mm -hmm. in your space. And you can sort of explore it, see what it looks like, see how it fits with your mood, with the environment of whatever you're trying to create in your own life. 
And then um, if you like it, you can buy it. You can buy it over a few months. We have sort of a financing option that we're building out. And then you can also just exchange it and continue to explore. And then, so that's the access piece. You can get it in your space, but the exploration is just because you have access to something doesn't mean you know how to choose or yeah. you know what to. That's, that's the hardest part. So that is the hardest part. And so we're trying to facilitate that exploration through sort of genuine connections to artists, through events that we put on uh, that are free for our members, but open to the public. And then also through an uh, technology. So there's an augmented reality app that you can use to sort of see what's in iOS uh, and you can see what a piece would look like in your home before cool. you bring it in. So there are a lot of different ways we're trying to help explore uh, the exploratory piece of art collection. Really. Yeah, I like that too, because I mean, there is a, you know, sometimes art has a sense of like permanence. And so, you know, both by letting me like visualize it on my wall before I get it and then letting me sort of hang something but not have to own it if I don't want to yet or not sure, it makes it a bit easier. Um how I want to come back to some of the things you talked about, but um, what's your personal story with art? Like, how did how did we get here today? Sure. So I think you've heard us say repeatedly this idea of access to art, and that has been something that we're both extremely passionate about, and that has really played out in our personal lives. So when we started working with Go Artful, um, this idea that income shouldn't be a limitation to getting to know and getting to experience art was always in the back of our minds. Um, for me, that came from the fact that you know I came to the U.S. when I was 11, and the way that I sort of oriented myself and the way that I became comfortable living in a new place was that I started to play violin. And it, it was an, you know basically a completely different world. I moved here from Ethiopia. And um, so I know what the arts can do, not just as pretty things you have on your wall or just a performance that you go see, but as something that can be empowering and transformative and um, beautiful. Yeah. And it was really important to me professionally and personally that the arts shouldn't be something that is limited to those with high finance, you know, high financial capabilities. Yeah. And I've worked with arts organizations and, you know, I've worked with performing arts organizations and museums and now I work in philanthropy. And, and so I've been thinking about this idea of how, come you make art, whether it's festivals, performances, or, you know, a, a local live music performance or art from local artists available to anyone who could want it. Because I really do believe that it's important that we have, we all have art in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say our target are, you know, people that go to a festival and see, you know, it happens all the time to me. You see this incredible art by local artists, but the cost of investing in that, I mean, how often do you just walk by and you say, eh, you know, I, I love it, but I don't have $500 right now. Or I don't yeah. have $1,000 right now. And how many artists lose business because people make that decision? So we're another avenue. And like Masai said, the reason I think that's important to us is, is our stories. So for me, though, it was I was a bad kid in a lot of ways. So I got into a lot of trouble. And, you know, at one point, I uh, got sent to alternative school uh, for weapons possession. It was just, I was a kid. Wow. Um, I grew up in Dallas, a poor neighborhood. My mom worked her butt off, but I was an ungrateful kid. And um, when I was in alternative school, I literally discovered Japanese animation or anime. And that art form, like I got into the manga, I got into anime, I got into the drawings, I got into the entire culture around it. It led me to learn Japanese. I'm fluent now. I've 
spent a lot of time in Japan. You're fluent in Japanese. I am. And because I wanted to watch anime without subtitles. And um, it also, it just changed my outlook. I remember literally having the thought as I watched uh, Evangelion for the first time. It's like literally the first anime I knew that I knew, watched that I knew came from Japan. And I said, oh my God, if I don't get my life together, I'll never have my own giant robot. And I literally had that thought. That's great. And then, you know, my family's very musical, so I got into music. But throughout, I mean, these experiences that can change people's lives aren't always accessible. So that's that's why we're doing what we're doing. And I, and I think it does connect to our own personal stories. And that's why we were trying to think of ourselves as a social enterprise and not just yeah. a money-making enterprise. But that's that's a whole other story. You, there's a I read on your blog that you said art saved your life. Why, why do you feel that way? I was getting into trouble. I mean, I know kids that I grew up with who, um, and it's a classic story in a lot of neighborhoods in this country, but I know kids that I, was, that I grew up with who were in jail, who you know, got into even more trouble. And because of arts and the inspiration that I got from, from music, from anime, from learning about arts in other forms as well, because I became inspired. I literally just stopped doing a lot of the bad things I was doing. Um, And that art saved my life is actually something my mother told me (laughs) at one point. Um, She was just proud sort of before she passed away. But I'm probably revealing way too much right now. (laughs) No, this is good. This is good. Those are your two stories. I mean, how did, so how did Go Artful? I mean, exactly. What was the moment? Was there a turning point? I mean, how did you two meet? How did you guys decide to do this? Um, And what, you know, kind of like where... Where where did we get to today? I suppose it started slightly selfishly okay. because I was interested in starting my own art collection. Um, I'm you know I love the arts that like I've said before, and um, I knew there are a lot of artists creating locally in DC because I I am very involved in the art scene here. And when I started to look for pieces that I wanted to buy, there were so many pieces that I would see in galleries or festivals or just with artists that I know. And I, obviously I wanted to buy all of them, um, which is financially very prohibitive, but even to buy a few pieces at a few hundred dollars is, is a difficult thing. And I think it's very true, especially true. And we can talk about this a little bit later, but in cities like DC that have a high cost of living. So when I realized that this was something that even as someone who is interested in the arts, who's particularly Mm -hmm. interested in supporting local artists, that it wasn't even something that I could do. Um, and I thought, well, there has to be a better way. And we know that museums and wealthier or, or um, other collectors have the opportunity to borrow artwork. So oh, Interesting. Yeah. And so I started thinking, okay, well, there are all these artists with excess capacity because they have pieces, even if you are a full-time working artist, you have pieces that you haven't sold for whatever reason. And there are people like me who are interested in having art but there's no avenue right now to connect those two that yeah. bridges the the financial restriction of, well, I can't spend $1,000 on a piece of art. Yeah. Maybe I can't even spend $300 on a piece of art. So um, I started thinking about how museums and other collectors have the option of, of doing this. So I thought there has to be a way that um, art lovers can borrow pieces from artists. And Randall and I started talking about it and, and the idea of the subscription model developed and... I think it's it's so common now. I don't think this is an idea that would have even existed or people would have thought of or accepted 10 years ago. But now yeah. we're so familiar with the idea of subscriptions for really virtually anything that 
we were able to put this idea out there. And, yeah. And yeah, I had been doing when we had that initial conversation. I had been doing a lot of presentations. I had just was at South by Southwest, and everyone was talking about all of these new technologies. And it struck me, you know, when our conversation was the common thread of a lot of these you know, new technologies like Airbnb, uh, Uber, HelloFresh, whatever it might be, is that you kind of get an experience or you get even an, an object or something without owning it. And so when the subscription came to mind, I was like, "Ooh, I haven't heard about that for the arts. And we just got really excited and moved really quickly um, to put a team together. I have a friend who's a brilliant developer and so went to him and we started you know market testing bouncing the idea idea off people and it's changed a lot since those initial conversations yeah but um it's how, how has it evolved any any main points that have evolved yeah i think one of the main uh changes that we've made since we started is originally you know we were really excited about the idea of only having original pieces available yeah. and you know, we realized quickly that there were limitations to that. A part of it was for the artists. So we want to make sure that the artists are getting as much opportunity as possible and limiting what they can, you know, lend to one one piece, one original meant that only one subscriber could take advantage of that one piece or could experience that work. And through a lot of conversations that we're having with our own artists and other artists um, who are not necessarily part of the Go Artful family was that prints should be a part of this because it really broadens the number of people that can get to know local artists. So that was a big piece of it. And we, we had a, a lot of conversations amongst ourselves and with our artists and decided that we wanted to create multiple subscription levels for originals and, and prints. So that's one big thing. Another was realizing how important the experience was for art. So originally we weren't planning on having events be a big part of our our products and our experience. But as we began to talk to folks, uh, do market testing, and really just we, especially when we got into our beta, we even noticed that following events that we hold, uh, we get about a subscriber a day for the first couple of weeks after the event. Um, and then it tails off. And so we've realized that that experience, art is, you know, we like to say art is more than something that hangs on your wall. It's also the experience. I mean, how many pieces do people have where they think about where they were when they, you know, saw this piece or what, what country they were in or what festival they were at or the scene that's described in the piece is somewhere that's close to them or reminds them of something. So if we can create meaningful experience with our artists, um, we've learned that that helps us in our marketing and in our building of the products. So that wasn't something we originally envisioned. But now that events piece is really central to how we talk about ourselves. And we even talk about ourselves more now as a membership to explore art in a variety of ways than as necessarily just a subscription. Um, and we think when even when we think about sort of a national expansion, we think, how are we going to do the same quality of events when we go to New York or when we go to Miami or when we begin to go to other cities? Uh, so that was something that we've um, sort of pivoted on quite a bit. I like that. Uh, talk quickly about the mechanics. I mean, how does it work? So, you know, subscription, I pay monthly amount i get a piece how many pieces do i get like how does that work yeah so at the at the lowest level 15 dollars, you get one piece which is a quality print uh, from a local artist so we curate a collection and then we make sure that the we have high quality um 
files or photos from each of the artists in our collection and their permission to make a certain number of prints. We don't want this to be something that's mass scale. Yeah. So at the most, we would ever make 20, for example, prints of an artist's piece. Okay. We then send that to our vendor or our supplier, uh, who's been great. They're a technology company based in Austin, too, and they have tried to democratize canvas printing. So we print that high quality piece on canvas and we mail it to you. And you have that piece then for four months and you have a dashboard on our platform where you can go and see sort of a countdown of when you're eligible to exchange. And then in the meantime, we have an events calendar and a lot of other opportunities through our newsletter or through information we provide on social media for you to get to know our artists, to explore, to get more value out of your membership than just that piece. But you get it for four months and it really changes how you feel about yeah. art. I've had one in my op- I had one in my office since last October. Um, because we can deliver to home or office. And it was so exciting as it got towards the end. First of all, it made my days better when I would just look at it, but I'm probably biased because there's more connected to it. But um, towards the end, I was just so excited to try the next piece. Yeah. And I think I want to buy the one I have now. I just exchanged. Um, But that's the basic subscription. And then at the $29 level, you get two pieces. At the $50 level, we will literally, um, usually me, because we're still a small operation, Um, and I volunteered for that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go, we'll set up a time to go to the artist studio. We'll pick up the piece. We'll bring it to you. And again, you have four months to exchange, um, or to enjoy it. And then you can buy it, finance it. Um, but the difference there is that with those original pieces, the artists really want them back. So at four months, you have to exchange or buy okay. uh, for those original pieces. And then we have a business subscription that's custom. And we've talked about sort of a build a plan solution as well. But for now, it's those four, those four subscription levels. That's great. And, what, and do I know which piece I'm I, – I do know what piece I'm getting yes. before I get it. You right? choose the piece that you want. Yeah. So I think opportunities to explore is a big part of this because I think for a lot of people, if you're not – an experienced art buyer or an arts um, goer or attendee, it's a really intimidating idea. The idea of, of spending, you know, even a few hundred dollars on a piece of art that you don't know if you're going to like a few years from now. You don't know if it's going to fit into your space or you don't, I mean, if you're moving, what do I do with this? How do I take care of it? And so we are trying to make that process a little more comfortable, a little less intimidating for people. So that's why we want to encourage people to switch out their pieces after a few months. We want them to experiment. We want them to check out work by different artists. We want them to have a sense of, oh, this isn't a piece that I bought online from you know, a large company that won't be mentioned. Yeah. Um, this is a piece from- Ikea. Uh, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> and this is a very personal thing. This is an artist that is creating in my city. And hopefully at some point we'll even be able to show who are the artists that are creating in your neighborhood. So you can say, well, I live in um, Alexandra. I live in Adams Morgan. Who's here? Yeah. Um, I think that's a way to, to make the, the process of um, having art in your home really enriching. Yeah. So that idea, exploring is a big part of it. And I think for the tech piece that Brendan mentioned earlier, we're very fortunate to have a team with very, very different backgrounds. So some of us have arts backgrounds and like our, you know, some of us, some of us don't, but we're looking at this from very, very different perspectives. And so our developer, when we started talking about exploration, he came up with the idea of the augmented reality app, which is huge because that really allows you to see how a piece would look in your space before even committing to renting it for four months. 
So we're really trying to look at all of the barriers for why people don't buy art, whether it's not knowing how to do it, whether it's not being able to afford it, whether it's not knowing how it's going to look in your space um, and, and trying to identify ways to, to, to break all of those barriers. And the events are a really big part of that, too. So our CTO, this is another of his ideas, um, came up with what we are hoping will be one of our signature events. We're doing the first one next month, but it's called Art Speed Dating. So okay. we're going to have- Now I'm intrigued. At, yeah, at all of our <laughs> <Everybody> events. <has laughs> everyone gets really excited about it. But at all of our events, we're going to have our art. So you're engaging with our artists, you're engaging with the content, but you're also seeing their works. Yeah. And so it's going to be an uh, art speed dating event where around the room we'll position some works from our artists, both originals and prints. And in front of each work, there's going to be two chairs. And you're going to sit down next to a stranger in front of the piece and talk about the piece for a few minutes, what it means to you, what art means to you, then switch it up. And just sort of go around the room for a little bit and try to make connections over art. And our artists will be there as well. Um, but at that moment, if someone says, man, I really love this experience, or I really love this piece that I'm seeing and I'm creating an experience and I, I'm, I'm enjoying this, they can sign up right then and there and just take it home. That's cool. So that sort of point of sale, meeting someone at the decision making, uh, at that point in the decision making process is, is how we plan to grow as well. And we, like I said, we've noticed that that works with the events. Every event we get um, sign up boosts coming out. So for us, we're excited about the economies of scale. Like how do we make these events efficient yeah. so that they can be a regular part of our marketing? But also even with the printing and the exchange periods. As we scale up, we can lower that from four months to two months or one month as we yeah. build a network and as we uh, hopefully secure uh, funding and can grow um, to be larger than we are. And that economy of scale can help us to do a lot of really cool things because we could even have that original subscription. Uh, we, we worked through a lot of it. And as Masai said, we originally planned on doing that, but it was like we'd have to build a sort of network like Uber to Go get the pieces, bring the pieces, yeah. have exceptions from the artists. Uh, so the artists, we talked about having it, the ability for the artist to say, I want the piece back because I just sold it. And then giving the user an option to sort of outbid whoever bought the piece. Really cool functionality that we could do, but it takes money to build that kind of network from the beginning. So we're trying to scale up and create experiences along the way. I like that. And who knows, maybe the dating will... Speed dating will turn into actual dating. You know, people will meet over an art piece and end up dating. I think art is one of the best ways to meet people. And you can tell a lot about someone just hearing them talk about the art that they like or the yeah. things that they go to. So I think I just thought powerful. about it, but that's actually how we met at a music festival. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for all of you listeners who are looking to replace your boring IKEA poster or add another piece to your collection, Bango can help. Bango's revolutionizing the way we discover art. They use machine learning to recommend art that you'll like, augmented reality to let you visualize that art above your couch, and live chats that you text directly with designers, all from your iPhone. They made finding my first piece fun and easy. So don't wait. Visit bangoart.com or download the app on iTunes and use the promo code STATEOFTHEART for 15% off your first purchase. Now, back to the episode. Going back, I mean, with the, the breakdown, like how much does the artist get from the monthly subscription cost? 
So the artists get 33% of the monthly subscription. Okay. Um, and then whenever they sell work, they get 15%. I mean, we get 15%. They get 85%. So when we started doing the research for this, um, right now, a lot of the avenues for artists to sell work are either online or you have to get into a gallery to do yeah. that. That's very common. But galleries, you know, it's 30 to 50% typically is what a gallery would take. And we have the 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 fortune yeah. of not having to sustain a brick and mortar location. So we're able to to offer a much higher um, commission to the artists for their pieces and, and really just take only a little bit for our operations. So is the hope though that then people do buy or does like, is your model built on people buying or does that not really matter? It's not essential to the model. Yeah. Whether we want it to be um, a situation where whether they buy or continue to explore, the yeah. artist gets value out of the relationship with us. So that value does come from them purchasing the pieces um, or getting the subscription revenue, but it also comes from the functionality that we have built out for them within the platform for them to it's, act as a marketing tool. Yeah. So we are providing the ability for artists to directly communicate with anyone who has their piece and say, I have a show coming up. And these are people who are engaged with your work yeah. or I have a new piece or I'm offering a discount on my online, in my online store or through the GoArtful platform on the purchase of pieces. So we're trying to create additional value outside of that. And that includes services. So we've recently been grappling with something we learned was a big problem for artists, at least in the DC region, but we also suspect nationally, which is um, having high quality files that you can use to make good prints of your work can vastly, uh, really exponentially increase an artist's potential revenue. But We've learned a lot of artists don't know how to take those high quality photos. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. It is, yeah. So we're offering sort of as a service, uh, we're going to our artists, we're helping them to either find a way to take those high quality photos or we're taking them ourselves and sort of financing that as part of our onboarding. And so we're creating a lot of value for the artists in addition to the subscription revenue um, that we hope can really create a new economy for the arts. We're not trying to muscle out galleries or muscle out museums. But there are a lot of people who never buy art or never enter the arts economy because it's too expensive. And we think that there are millions of those people and we, yeah. can, we can access them for the, on behalf of the artists. Actually, this reminds me some, of one of the biggest um, things that we're really excited about. And, and when we talk to artists, something that they get really excited about as well is that there's a lot of data that we can create for artists. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe looking at data is, is not something that artists intuitively think to do. Um, and so we're going to be looking at which pieces are getting looked at the most on our site, whether or not they're getting the subscription from it necessarily or whether they're getting purchased. We can tell the artists these types of pieces are what's doing really well or um, this type of subscriber is interested in this type of work. And it really expands the way that they can think about their work, not necessarily so they can tailor their art to the market, but I think just having that information is a very powerful thing. Yeah. And I've already had artists who, you know, have been on the on on the on the website for a couple of months and who have said, Tell me, you know, I do two types of work. I do abstract work and I do semi-abstract work. And I, I'm just trying to figure out, commercially speaking, which one is gonna do yeah. better. Blue we abstracts need... always do the best. Yeah, <laughs> actually. We can say that. <laughs> and we'll be able to say that in a way that our you... Most, I just have to... Our most uh, checked out pieces pieces are all... There's three and they're all blue abstracts. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the challenge it's, so, it's like discovery is like you know that's gonna always be popular but then you have to like 
you know, like Spotify or something, like throw in like yeah. unique the other pieces. stuff. Yeah. yeah. But I think for, especially for emerging artists who, who are really who we're interested in working with at, right now, they don't have that kind of data. And if you are at a gallery or if you're at a festival, unless you can ask every single person that's passing by and looking at your work, hey, which piece do you like? you're not going to have access sure. to that kind of information. So that's something that we're looking at building into the artist portal um, that I don't think is, is currently available. And then I, and I think artists, you're right. I, I don't think style is something that they would change based on data, but I do think like color and size, uh, you know, are two areas that like they might be more open to. If you just said, hey, smaller pieces do better or medium yeah. pieces or sure. this, like, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm telling you to paint, you know, a blue abstract dog and you're just yeah. going to do that because the data <laughs> says so. Money, yeah. But it's like, hey, based on your style, bigger pieces do better or like yeah. orange, use more oranges or something. And we want to be collaborative. So yeah. even with the augmented reality um, technology, part of why we developed that was hearing from artists that folks wanted to know what the pieces would look like, but they couldn't really offer them the chance to buy, try it before they buy it. Yeah. Uh, which is part of what our platform does, but augmented reality takes, makes that even easier. Um, and we've talked to artists who just don't have the time, for example, and they want to be on larger platforms or find other revenue streams. One of our artists learned that he can, does a really great job. We asked him to partner with us to take some photos um, of another artist pieces. So they made a genuine connection and now he's going out and this is a new revenue stream for him where he's That's taking great. pieces of other, other artists' work. So we're trying to be collaborative and really learn from artists about what they want um, because we think that benefits both folks who love the art and want to buy it and the artists themselves. And yeah. Sort of make a, a great partnership between all, all parties. Are, are artists ever reluctant to sign up or, I mean, are there questions that you often get Sure. I think it's definitely not a platform that is suitable for every artist, right? So there are some artists who are currently selling their work for, you know, five to 10 or $15,000 mm -hmm. for whom this is just not compelling. Getting subscription revenue from a piece is, is not as rewarding as being able to sell your piece for that much. So I found that um, for those types of artists, this is not quite the avenue. I think eventually we do plan on have on having higher level subscriptions, which can accommodate the interest of artists of, of that caliber. Um, but the other piece we're also developing is a business subscription. And I think that is another piece for yeah. higher end artists that is more suitable. Um, and of course, medium is also a challenge. So there are some artists that I've talked to who just say like, my work is, is very transient. It is not meant to last for a year. It's not meant to last for six months. So I think that the type of art is is also a factor in that as well. Um, and, and I think, you know, I've talked to a couple to maybe one or two artists, not as many who just say, I actually don't want my work to become commercialized. Huh. Um, and I don't want my work in any way to feel that it has to respond to an audience. And, you know, I'm very respectful of that idea. Um, but I think you don't agree with it, but you're respectful. No, no but I'm, I, I do agree with it. I think for art is a very personal thing, obviously. Yeah. And, the, and the motivation for why people do it is also very personal. So this is not going to work for, for every artist, but I think the sweet spot, at least so far with our, with our collection, with our inaugural collection has been emerging artists who are really trying to figure out how do I make, how do I reach people who are interested in my work, but I can't necessarily spend hours or months, um, 
trying to trying to explore different avenues to make this work. And yeah. we're trying to take a lot of the burdens from the artists because I think there's a lot of pressure for artists to be everything. I mean, they're they're essentially small businesses, each one of them. So that means they have to do their own marketing, they have to do their own social media, they have to, you know, do their own events and, and connect with galleries and, and buyers and that is a lot to ask. Yeah. And and we're trying to figure out how we can take on some of that burden for the artists. But isn't the subscription, I mean, in a way, it's like business development for them, right? It's like, because ultimately, if they get in the house, maybe they're not making a lot of money off the subscription. But like, if they sell the piece because they lent it to the person. That's then, what we're hoping. Yeah. yeah. They sell the piece or the person just always wants one of their pieces in their home. So yeah. they, that's a relationship. Oh, that person always wants to come to their to their openings or... Um, to, yeah, becomes a fan and exactly, tells others. Exactly. And we think that has tremendous value. What we have to help the artists to do through the platform and through our work is to be able to quantify that value and leverage yeah. it. Um, so direct communications, data analytics, um, the events themselves, that's a way we're hoping they can leverage that and get and get some substantive value out of it that helps them build their business, like you say. Yeah. Um, so let's talk, we're, you're in, we're in DC, you're in DC. Um, we love you, DC. you love DC. I yeah. love DC. <laughs> you start, I mean, why, you know, why, why was this the ideal place to start? Or was it just that you lived here? I mean, you know, talk to me a little bit more about that. And, um, and then, you know, from there thinking about expansion. So I don't know if I would say it's ideal. We think it is one of the best places we could have started. Um, we may have picked somewhere else if we were somewhere else. Um, but what we really see in DC is Masai mentioned this earlier. It's, uh, one of the most expensive cities to live in, in the country. And when we think about the economic factors that go into the decision to buy or not buy art or to become an art collector or not become an art collector, um, or even to go to a gallery opening or not go to a gallery opening, uh, disposable income plays a big part in that. Yeah. Um, and in D.C., it happens to be the case that you have a lot of educated people who demonstrate through their behaviors that they care about arts and cultural experiences. I mean, D.C. is one of the top cities for theater attendance. Wow. Um, it has, I believe it's even seventh in the number of artists who are employed in the city, in the country. And then you have all of these museums and uh, all of these events, and many of them are free and people take advantage of them. But... You know, you're paying 40% of your income, even with a good job on rent, might even have a nice apartment or you're in a group house um, and you just you may want art in your space, but you just can't. So that sure. economic barrier to to a connection with local quality art, not Ikea stuff. Oh, we're not. Not But, you know, that's your one sort of outlet many times. Yeah. Um, and we can offer a little bit more choice for folks who are facing that sort of financial dilemma. Eventually, we want to scale up, but we think this is a great place to start. And we also just we're, we live here. We love it here. So we can when we're creating that genuine, meaningful connection with arts in this community, we think this is a great place to start because we have that and yeah. we, we want to have that. And this, I'd say those are some of the reasons we thought about in terms of the behavioral barriers that we can address by being here. Yeah, I also I also read I think in one of your articles that you were in that forty three percent of adults attend art exhibits in yeah. DC, which is the highest in the nation. So it kind of shows that people are intrigued or interested. Yeah, I think that's definitely true for DC. And aside from the fact that we all moved here and love it, 
Um, there is there's a thriving art scene in D.C. I mean, D.C. has more theaters than I mean, I think it's like maybe the second or third in terms of the number of theaters um, yeah. in U.S. cities. And it doesn't get appreciated as an art city. Um, I think I can speak for I definitely when I moved here didn't didn't anticipate the number of arts organizations. I mean, theater companies and festivals and and um, galleries and museums that are here. It's a rich arts city that that doesn't get a lot of credit for that. So I think a part of starting here has been this sort of low key uh, excitement about promoting DC as an arts city and and I think it, changing that identity of it as just a federal city. And this. It allows us to leverage where we are in DC's undeserved reputation as well, because people want to show that DC is a city that has arts and cares about the arts. Whether it's the city government, they have a lot of awesome initiatives um, to support local artists, or whether it's other technology companies like us who are doing uh, innovative things in the arts, people are excited to sort of show that we're that kind of city. So yeah. we can leverage mm -hmm. that to get people at our events, to get people engaged. Um, but there is a there are other markets that we hope to explore too, and rather quickly. Yeah. Um, so we're hoping to build a product that can that can scale quickly. So this is where we're starting, and this is our home, and we are registered here in DC, and we want to be a DC based tech and arts paying the DC taxes. We are. I mean, we that's... are. Yeah. <laughs> so well, let's talk about the expansion. I mean, like, what do you guys have an idea of how many cities you want to go to, or where you want to go next, or is that a top secret? No. So what we're looking at now is, is economic data. Yeah. So uh, because of those economic behavioral barriers to um, accessing art or exploring art. And so we and, and also due to proximity, New York is probably next on our list. Sure. Um, and then we've had discussions around Miami or San Francisco. Um, but New York, we know, is definitely next. And then after that, it really just depends on what's what what successes we're seeing, what yeah. challenges we're seeing, um, because we may want to go an entirely different path. It may be that we've targeted. Um, it may be that folks in smaller cities who don't have a lot of local artists want to access local artists from New York or from D.C. Or from, so there may be an entirely different model there as well. So we're as we grow, we just want to keep an eye on the data and try to grow in the right way. So yeah, what are those challenges as you start to scale? That you think you'll have. Well, I think a a big part of it obviously is is funding. I think that's that's the most obvious one. I mean, we are all our entire team works full time. We all have jobs that we're extremely passionate about, and obviously, this is something that we're all in. Um, so as we start to look at some of those factors, like adjusting our supply chain, so we can be able to send out as many pieces as subscribers we're going to have as we're growing is big. And to be able to scale up in that way, we obviously require a lot of additional time and a lot of yeah. funding to scale up those those pieces. And as we're looking at what are some of the, way, the ways that we can help our artists, some of the tech pieces that we want to build into the, the, the back end for the artist um, is something that's going to require, I think... Do, you, do you store the pieces after they're being, after they're used? Yes. Yeah, yeah, for the prints, we will yeah. we will store them. Um, for the originals, obviously, they'll go back to the store them on the studio. walls of your office or your apartment. <laughs> so. Actually, we had a long discussion about the ethics, so they're stored in a place where they're not seen. Yeah, um, we don't want to take advantage of the artists. They should be getting compensated if we're enjoying their work. So, 
um, we, okay. we will not enjoy the work enjoy unless not. it's with a subscriber. <laughs> that was actually something Masai pointed out. We was very adamant about it, and we all agree. Like, that's, a, that's a great point. So storage is going to be an issue as we scale. Just the logistics of the network. Um, yeah. Our pickups are still manual. So we an RFO repre- a GoRFO representative will go and pick up the piece when it's done. And that's part of wanting to create an experience. Yeah. Um, well, but, you create a connection too with that person. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that though requires someone to, to, to do that. Um, so the more pieces we have, the, the more that scheduling uh, becomes an issue. I would say one of the big pieces is the events because events are such a big part of our brand that we're trying to build and the connection that we want, the connections we want to make between artists and our members. Um, in each city, we have to find events partners. So that includes venues where we can hold these events that are suitable for our brand and yeah. suitable for the kind of atmosphere we want to create. Um, but also we have to find um, events that fit that space. We have to come up with an events calendar for each city. That's going to be, that's not something necessarily that you can scale really quickly or you would do it badly. Um, so we just have to be, that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Um, I'd say those are the biggest challenges. What um oh gosh, I lost my train of thought. I was just thinking about speed dating. You're <laughs> <laughs> well, um, more than welcome to attend. Yeah, so we'll no, get you the info. The <laughs> um oh, okay. I was gonna say, you know, we you know, thinking ahead, so you talked a bit about expansion. Are there other sort of trends or technology or things that you think will help? I mean, you know, either you directly or just indirectly because more people are into art. I mean, you guys talked about your augmented reality app. So, like, that's, you know, that's a, a technology that's somewhat recent maybe. And, 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 you know, people talk about VR. Are there things out there that you think about as kind of like the long-term vision that's going to help, like I said, either you indirectly or directly? Well, there's one I'm really excited about. And that is APIs. So, What's an API? So it's an application program interface. It basically allows you to see in one database um, data or information, which could be products, et cetera, that's available in another database. Um, So as an example, there's a company that builds, they go to local restaurants and get their menus, and then they build APIs so that uh, different delivery apps can just integrate the data that they collect into their app and Got easily, yeah. you know, then take care of the deliveries. We are excited to do something similar with our artists where, I mean, if you've ever gone to Amazon or Overstock or large uh, e-commerce platforms and search for art, it's not very local. It's not very meaningful. It doesn't have the story of the artist sure. or the art. Um, it doesn't have a lot of the data that we're collecting. So what we can do is build out those APIs so that our artists, just by being on our platform, have their works on Overstock, on That's Amazon, great. so that when you're searching for art, you see their pieces from our collection. And then for the artists, they get that revenue, and we just handle the deliveries, handle and take a percentage, but that's a lot of scale that they can get yeah. um, from their pieces. So we're really excited about that. We've talked about another, a few other cool things, like everybody's talking about blockchain right now, so I'm hesitant <laughs> to say this, but... Um, we've had a couple of artists raise the issue of provenance. So they want to know how many of their pieces are being printed. They sort of want all of these assurances, which is a perfectly uh, reasonable thing to ask for. And what we've talked about is finding a way to use the blockchain to create a distributed record of every action that happens with a piece. 
So a piece is printed and then you know everyone in the world who's connected to that knows that that it has a record of that activity. Yeah. So artists can track that. Uh, people who want to know what the history of a piece is can track that. And that'd be something that we could use as well to show our artists to be accountable to our artists and to users who want to know that they're not getting another mass-produced piece. Um, so we've talked about quite a few, That's and we want to take. I think collectors would like that as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think when we started talking about expansion, and one of the things that we'll, I'm sure we'll get to at some point, is um, a fund. We've we've established a fund because we're we don't want to just make this a money making enterprise sure. and. One of the things that we want to do in the long term, um, one of the visions for the fund is that we want to work with artists in emerging markets. And that's particularly, I mean, that's really important to me being from Ethiopia and this this possibility of, you know, working with artists that are there that may never have access to a broad U.S. arts market. But this blockchain idea is, is the idea of provenance is really important for artists who are not necessarily here. And so there's a lot of possibilities for yeah. that. Um, and building off of something else you said too, I think when we talked about the events, one of the things we are looking to start doing is artist studio tours, both for our subscribers and other people who might be interested. And something like VR in the long term could be a really that cool be a way little, yeah. to experience that if we can build artist studios into what we're doing and that you can access it through that. Um, yeah, like GoPro and stuff they have now where the yeah. cameras and you can almost just, you know. They, they make it easier to scale up these sort of like 3D. It's not quite yeah. VR, but like a 3D somewhat virtual experience. Yeah. For sure. And we want this idea. I mean, democratizing access to art for us doesn't just mean with paintings and yeah. photographs. We want to think about it with other types of art too, whether that's music or whether that's sculptures. Again, that's something yeah. like what you just mentioned could be really powerful because it's really hard to have a large piece of sculpture yeah. in your home. So how do you use technology to enable people to have access to different types of art as yeah. well? I hope Brandon has a big car, you know, since he's going to be one <laughs> lugging them around. My car actually got totaled right like six oh. months into this. I was going to be doing a lot of the deliveries. So Yeah, um, when you're a small yeah. business, some really unexpected things happen <laughs> that you're like, well, I didn't know this was going to be a challenge for yeah. us. Well, this has been a lot of fun. You guys have a lot of work to do, it sounds like. So I'm going to let you go. But before I do, can we do a quick rapid fire? Yeah, sure. sure. Okay. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Invisibility. Ability to see the future. Okay. Um, what is your guilty pleasure? It's this Mexican restaurant in Texas called Poncho's. Okay. <laughs> it's awful, but I love it. All right. Um, yeah. Um, watching Frasier for maybe the 150th time. Okay, these are good. <laughs> All right, this one I think is just for, for Brandolin. But how do you say artist for everyone in Japanese? Hmm. Artist everyone. Yoko. Oh, artist for everyone. Isn't that like what you say? Artist for Yeah. You really say a version like art is everyone. It okay. to everyone. All right. Say it louder. I forgot how to say art. So okay. that's my issue. Oh. Do you want me to say it in Amharic for you? Go ahead. So this is more paintings are for everyone. Okay. Ooh. Wait, wait. What was that in? That was Amharic. Okay. Wow. This is great. <laughs> well, how do we find you? How do we find Go Artful? How do we find the two of you? those listeners yeah, so out there you can check us out at goartful.com and then on twitter we're at goartful 
Uh, I'm at Brandolin B on Twitter. So feel free to shout out if you have any questions. Um, I do all the deliveries for now. So, uh, <laughs> so you're the face they'll be seeing. Yeah, 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 yeah. but you'll see all of us at <laughs> events. And yes. you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook as yes. well. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been great. So don't forget to visit GoArtful at GoArtful.com and on Instagram at GoArtful. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Leaving a review is super easy and it helps listeners like you discover the podcast. Oh yeah, and don't forget to check us out at State of the Art on Twitter for behind the scenes photos, a sneak peek to next week's episode, and really cool art videos you're going to want to show your friends. Thanks again to Van Gogh for sponsoring this episode and to all of you for listening. Remember, if you're an artist looking to create more or a buyer wanting to enrich your home with original art, visit bangoart.co slash podcast and save 30%.